father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. My name is Ryan. And my name is Joanna. First off, Happy New Year! Happy New Year, you got. Wait, is this our first broadcast of the new year? I think technically I uploaded our last episode on, like, New Year's Day, but this is the first fresh recording of us in the new year, so happy 20 Palpatine. You won't even believe... What well, we have planned for you in, in 2019. It's a new year. It's a new us. Yep. We're recording at the gym right now. We're, we're doing the steps. We're doing the... We're, we're doing CrossFit right now while drinking copious amounts of protein powder. I'm meditating while doing CrossFit somehow. Also, do you know it's earned, not given? This bod that I've crafted in the last week. Like, nobody just gives you a bod like that. You have to earn it. There's no handouts when it comes to CrossFit. Also, we're on a diet. We're doing the Jordan Peterson diet. Only beef... Nothing else. Which doubles as the keto diet. Which means that we will die soon. We'll look great doing it. We're going to leave beautiful corpses in 2019. That's my resolution. So welcome. How long uh, How long did it take you to come up with 20 Palpatine? I came up with it five minutes before we started recording. You know what? What? The Japanese emperor is retiring this year, and in April they're going to announce the name of the new era. It's like, Palpatine. It's going to be Palpatine. It's, it's going to be the era of Palpatine. It's going to be the Heisei era is over, Palpatine Showa era. Showa Heisei Palpatine. Begin now. Cannot wait. All right, well then, should we just get into it? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's uh, let's learn some things. Tell me something that I don't know about Lord of the Rings to ring in this new year. Well, we're going to- Lord s- of the Ring in this new year. How long did it take you to come with that one? I came up with it right after I said the first thing, and I just had to repeat it. So, let's try that again. Tell me something to Lord of the Ring in the new year. Okay, I will. Let's talk about people of color in Middle Earth. Okay. So what you're telling me is... That, that there are some? That there, well, yeah, first of all, <laughs> that there are some. That's You told me a little bit about how Tolkien made all the brown people evil. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops! Whoops! Uh, I kind of beefed it on that one, guys. Sorry. But I'd like to hear more besides that. Maybe some of their good points, maybe some of the reasons why their lives matter, as well as Hobbit lives. Well, this is actually a far more complex subject than I can probably tackle in 30 minutes, but I'm going to try. Well, race is complex. Race is extremely complex. I worry about whether or not I can do it justice. We promise it at the end of this segment, Joanna's Lord of the Rings segment, that... All ra- racial divides will be healed. Racism is over. Racism will be over, so, you in know... Middle Earth, at least. We can learn a lesson from them. Okay, that, so- that's that's our other task in 2019. One is to get an earned, not given body, and the other is to end racism. In half an hour. Or yeah. your money back. Alright, so over the course of this podcast, we've talked about the men of Beleriand, Numenor, Gondor, Rohan. We've discussed the three main branches of the Edain, so Beor, Haleth, and Hador... And last week, we even talked about the men of Rovanian, mm-hmm. about whom very little has been said. But do you know who gets even less discussion in Tolkien's Legendarium than the man of Rovanian? They get any less attention than them. I probably haven't heard of them. Well, it's anyone with any melanin whatsoever. Yikes. Is the answer. So in terms of name characters in Middle-earth, the roster is whiter than a bunch of former frat bros screaming along a sweet Caroline at a country club wedding. There are people of color in the Tolkien universe, however, their roles are problematic, to say the least. Rather than just saying there's racism in Lord of the Rings and leaving it at that, though, 
Uh, I want to delve into things a little deeper. Okay. So here we go. So first, let's refresh your memory on what the Manish family tree looks like. Well, there's a daddy and a mommy, and then a bunch of babies. Yep, that's generally how reproduction works, but uh, let's look at it at a more macro level, right? So we have the aftercomers, i.e. men, because they came after elves. Yep. And then if you look here, you'll remember that when men awoke in the far east of Middle-earth in a place called Hildorian, like men before them, they made their way west toward Beleriand. And then who made it all the way to Beleriand became the Edain, sure, or elf friends, and their descendants were the Numenorians and then the Dunedain. We know that line very well because they're very covered. Yes. Those who halted partway through the journey, somewhat less covered, settled around Rovanian and were known as the Middle Peoples or the Northmen, and they included the Rohirrim, eventually. And then you get this third group, the Wild Men or Men of Darkness. I Well, that's problematic right there. Both those names are not great. Not great, and it gets even not greater. So these men became the Easterlings and the Haradrim, and though there's some ambiguity about it, they were most likely darker-skinned. And by extension, less likely to name their kids crap like Lakeland or Squire Sebastian Senator. Is that a real name? That is a real name. You have not seen it? It is online. It is a child named Squire Sebastian Senator. His mom was very angry that everybody made fun of her child's name. That name sucks. That's his first name, too. That's not even like his first middle nath. That's like his entire First name. It's like that mom at the airport who got upset that they made fun of A B C D E. Yeah, it was like Abbekd or something like that. Yeah, yeah, Abkada or whatever. Abkada. Yeah. No, oh, very angry. Very angry. White people be very angry. Get White very people angry be making things. bad names. Yes. Let's summarize what we know about the Easterlings and the Haradrim. So, firstly, starting with the Easterlings, they weren't actually a unified group. Okay, so they were composed of many different tribes, and the term Easterling was just a general name for anyone who lived in the far east of Middle Earth. Did they call everyone else Westerlings? They did not. No, they really what should did have. they call them? What did the Easterlings call the West? They called them the the old English term honkies. Yes, that is a classic old English term, honkies. White but people. But it's spelled like H-O... No, it would be spelled um like uh, H-R-O-A-K. Hronkies. Hronkies. Like Hrothgar. Those those Hronkies to the West. Yes. Uh, so uh, I they, they do actually have like a name for them. I'm just trying to look it up. said it was honkies. Hronkies. Yes, it, apart from Hronkies. I can't find it right now. Some research you did. Uh, their existence, the existence of the Easterlings, that is, was first recorded in the year 455 of the First Age. However, they were almost certainly around before that. We do have rather vague indications that Morgoth secretly negotiated with the Easterlings before they even crossed over the Blue Mountains. But 455 was when the people of Beleriand first became aware of them, and if American history textbooks have taught us anything, it's that we don't have to care about brown people prior to the point where white people became aware of them. Now, the early recorded history of the Easterlings is kind of unfortunate. So when groups of them first came into Beleriand, they promised to help in the fight against Morgoth. However, during the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, an Easterling leader called Ulfang suddenly switched sides and basically handed Morgoth a victory over the Sons of Feanor. You remember telling me that. Yes. So Ulfang and his people were seen as unfaithful betrayers, though I would argue that Feanor and Sons should really stop throwing so many stones in that big glass house they live in. They live in a glass house? Well, I mean... In the sense that they slaughtered their own people to steal some boats. So you want to talk about unfaithful betrayers. 
Yeah, don't live in a glass house. Yeah. Well, yeah, just living in a glass house is kind of a stupid idea. Everyone can to see your butt with. when you're changing clothes. Oh, God. I saw somebody's butt when I was at camp one year. Oh. She, in a glass cabin? No, it was all, like, screened in, but she had the flaps lifted up, and she was changing her underwear while singing to Shania Twain. That don't impress me much. But I never forgot it. And that's why we don't live in glass houses now. Because of Shania Twain. Yeah. In the Second Age, Sauron spent a lot of time trying to manipulate the Easterlings into viewing him as a king and a god. Look at me. I'm a god. And as far as Tolkien records, Sauron was largely successful in this. Um, the reason he focused so much on the East is, first of all, he'd been driven there after his master Morgoth fell mm-hmm. and got launched into space. Second, we can sort of infer that he might have had an easier time working his wicked ways in the East because there weren't elves or wizards there. I mean... Theoretically, the blue wizards were stationed in the east, but they beefed it pretty hard on their mission, so they don't really count. Yeah, we don't even Like, they didn't do anything. They kind of sucked. After Morgoth was defeated by the last alliance of men and elves, the Easterlings were technically free of his tyranny, but old habits die hard. So throughout the Third Age, groups of Easterlings repeatedly attack Gondor and Rovanian. Uh, in the year 490 of the Third Age, they attacked Gondor from their base in the territory of Rune. Specifically, they invaded Ithilien, which would later become Minas Morgul, which was the fortress of the Nazgul. And once Gondor defeated these invaders, they gained Rune as their territory. So let me show you where Rune is. Nope. As uh, the centuries passed, Gondor continued expanding its borders into what used to be Easterling territory. And the Easterlings fought back and managed to recruit some Northmen to their cause. Some white Northmen. So keep that in mind, because it's like one of the mitigating factors in this whole racially insensitive stew here that is the people of color in Middle Earth. In 1248, they marched into the lands between Rovanian and the Sea of Rune, and they were defeated by Rovanian, as we mentioned last week. Yeah, so everyone can see the map we're looking at right now. Everybody can see what I'm pointing at, right? Look it up. Look up where Rune is. It's a huge chunk of land to the east of, even the east of Mordor. It's really out there. That's Rune, R-H-U-N. Don't start typing R-U-N-E. Because then you're just going to get RuneScape, and And somebody's going to force you to play RuneScape and you're gonna get drawn in and spend all your time playing RuneScape. And you're gonna say, why did they do this? This has nothing to do with Lord of the Rings. I can't believe I got sucked into this again. Yeah. Never again, RuneScape. Never again. So, the Easterlings disappeared from the record for a while and then they returned in 1856 as everyone's favorite wacky band of misfits, the Wayne Riders. Right before the Civil War. Yes, right before, yeah, right before, right, right, just prior to the Emancipation Proclamation. 1856. 1856. The Battle of Gettysburg, we all know yeah. there were, there was heavy use of Waynes <laughs> at Gettysburg. Hence, uh, the high death toll. Wayne's are very deadly. Uh, so, Wayne's were actually chariots, as I think we've mentioned before. Yes. The Wayne Riders took advantage of a Middle-earth that had been ravaged by the Great Plague, and they actually managed to defeat an alliance between Gondor and Rohirrim, only very briefly, because after the battle, apparently, the Wayne Riders got really drunk and really stupid in their tents, and the Men of the West kind of swept into their camps and killed them. Whoops. Which is a very embarrassing way to go. So, speaking of alliances, the Easterlings had an alliance with the next people we're going to talk about, and that yeah. is the Haradrim. So the Haradrim... Oh, I know them. They have elephants. Elephants. Moom, they do. They have olifants. Indeed. Indeed. But there's some other things we know about them. So the Haradrim were from, surprise, surprise, Harad, sometimes known as the Harad. It is south. South of what we commonly think of as Middle Earth. It is very, very south. Southerlings. South of Gondor. They're called Southerlings. South, Southrons, sometimes. They're called Southrons. Southrons. By, in Manish terms, yes. Didn't they use that in Game of Thrones? Talk about the Southron lords? They did indeed. They did indeed. George R.R. Stealing a little bit from J.R.R. I can't. They both got R.R. in their names, so what are they supposed to do? Same guy. You ever seen the same room together? 
I nope. did not. Just something to think about. So the land in the south of Middle-earth was divided into near-herod and far-herod, because, like, one of them was really near and one of them was far. Well, that's all relative. Well, it's all relative, and it's relative to the people living in Middle-earth. So that's really right. Far-herod far Herod isn't that far from you if you're near-herod. If you're near-herod, that's near-herod, and near-herod is just here. Whoa. Whoa. Or did I just blow your mind? Are we in Herod right now? I don't know. Everybody's in Herod in some way or another. We know almost nothing, though, about Herod. We know that, quote, the sun was fierce and that there were no clouds. Mm -hmm. And during the Second Age, Sauron manipulated the Haradrim in much the same way as he manipulated the Easterlings. However, there was another party at work, a colonizer. Oh, good. We love colonizers. We, well, the history of Middle-earth is certainly full of them, and this colonizer was Numenor. So, during the Second Age, Numenor built the city of Umbar on the western shores of Herod, and decided to move on in. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not like, you know, there were people living in that area or anything. Not people that matter, anyway. So, initially, the Numenorians took on the role of benefactors to the Herodrim, so they, like, introduced more modern agriculture and crafting techniques. This is how colonizers Gave work. beads and guns oh, and sure. smallpox blankets. Absolutely. $24. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Eventually, though, surprise, surprise, they set themselves up as lords and started demanding tributes, goods, and wealth, and then oppressed the crowd out of the Howard Dream, as colonizers are wont to do. But wait, it gets worse. Because during the reign of the king Ar-Farazon, the Numenorians started enslaving the Howard Dream and actually using them as human sacrifices. Oh no, to who? To what? Well, do you remember Sauron set up that temple of Melkor on Numenor sure. that practiced human sacrifice? So that's where some of those sacrifices were coming Why from. Why would they worship Melkor? Come I on. don't know. Sauron made him seem pretty cool, I guess. Maybe Sauron showed them a picture and it was Melkor like with a backwards baseball kept riding a skateboard while drinking a can of Surge. And they were like, that guy looks extremely cool. Let's kill a guy to show how much we think he's cool. Right? So, in the centuries to come, the Numenorean ruling class in Harad was increasingly influenced by Sauron, and they became straight-up evil. In fact, they were called the Black Numenorians. Black is in their evil, which is a whole other problematic uh, kettle yeah, of fish. But they were white in race, and they led the entire region into darkness. So, I would argue that this is sort of another mitigating circumstance, even in this region that's presented as pretty evil. The evilest of all the members is the white ruling class. Gotcha. Now, just real quick. Yes. If I were to picture Herod, I kind of know what, like, Gondor and Rohan and them look like. What what kind of land is Herod? I imagine kind of like a big savanna, because they have, like, oliphants and stuff. Well, it's very, very dry, and there's no clouds, and that's basically all we know. It's like a desert? It's like a desert. It's like sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. Basically, is what you should be picturing. The Easterlings would be living in, like, the ancient Near East. If we were going to, like, try to map the modern world directly onto Middle-earth. Okay, okay. So that's kind of a dry, arid area with very big animals. So while we're on the subject of white nonsense, though, Gondor stole the coastal city of Umbar from the evil Numenorean ruling class, and then the Numenorean struck back, and they used the subjugated Haradrim to try and get Umbar back. Uh, so white superpowers using darker-skinned indigenous people as pawns in their territorial squabble. Nothing that is any precedent in history, neither before or since, I'm sure. What a fantastical idea, J.R.R. Yeah, wow, he was really like, what an imagination. The Haradrim fought and lost and then rebelled and lost again and then joined forces with the Wayne Riders at the Battle of Gettysburg. Right. And, uh, we've (laughs) already discussed how that went. Spoiler alert, they lost. Now, did they have a wizard? What, down in Harrod? Yeah. No. They could have had one. I know. I don't know why they didn't get they a wizard. Could, okay, they could have had one. 
and he keeps like magic in these these ceramic jars he makes and he he's like he makes pots and stuff and they call him the Herod Potter. I don't know how to feel about any of the words that just came out of your mouth. They upset me. And yet they're still less upsetting than what J.K. Rowling says about her own work, so I can't I mean, really can, complain. And this is before toilets were invented, so he makes his poop disappear with magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, these, none of them are chamber pots. He didn't think these chamber pots for He's the Herod Potter. Uh, I hope everybody out there has heard the hot goss that wizards just poop themselves and then disappear with magic. I hope you've all heard that. Before toilets were introduced into Hogwarts, they pooped everywhere and just made it poof away. But there's always these rules with magic where, like, they, she says, like, you know, you can't create something out of nothing. So, like, the poop must be going somewhere. Maybe it's in the room of requirement. Oh, no. <laughs> Harry opens the door and it's just, like, piles of... <laughs> like, hundreds of years old. Oh, grody. Nobody requires this! <laughs> anyway, got a little bit off topic. Guys, think about it. Harrod Potter. It's very cool. Harrod Potter. It is very cool. And I thought of that in, like, two seconds. It's so. hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. You, I can tell because you're laughing so much. I'm laughing it. really, really hard. Can you tell? You're red in the face. You can't, you're wheezing. It's way too funny. Getting back to the subject at hand. Around this time, some of the Howard Dream decided to become pirates. Yar. So, more specifically, they became the Corsairs of Umbar, who are featured in the Peter Jackson movies. All oh, those guys, the boats. Yes. In fact, Peter Jackson himself is one of them. Right. He dies. And right? he dies. Yes, he dies. So, you can see him die as a Corsair of Umbar in the extended edition of Return of the King. Yar. You can also see the Howard Dream fight at the Battle of Pelennor fields astride their oliphant. Unlike with the Easterlings, we actually know a little bit about the Haradrim's culture. So many Haradrim warriors were seen in bright clothing, such as scarlet robes, and were decorated with golden ornaments like collars, earrings, corsets of overlapping brazen plates. I'm reading from the uh, wiki right now. And uh, they braided their hair with gold. Some tribes painted their bodies with scarlet and red, and they had banners the same color. Tips of their spears and body paint were all scarlet and red. Their shields were yellow and black. And then it's mentioned at the end of the Second Age, some of the men in the South had weapons of iron. And at the Battle of Pelennor Fields, they bore scimitars Ooh. that glittered like stars. Alibaba swords. Alibaba swords, as Frank Reynolds would put it. Very good. So we don't know anything about the language they spoke. We just know that the to the men of the West, it sounded like, quote, the shouts of beasts. Okay. Now, Tolkien. 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 My dude. You're a language man. Think how much fun it'd be to take, like, Arabic or, like, a sub-Saharan African language and, like, make your own version of it. How fun would that the be, The only buddy? word we really have from their language is mumakil, which is olifant. Olifant. It's really the only word now, we have. Is, where's mumakil? Like, what kind of uh, root does that have in real language? Mumakil. We have the whole etymology for olifant. But not mumakil, huh? Mumakil etymology. Not a bug. Entomology is bugs, my dear. Entomology. Are you all right? I was just making a funny. No, no. Where I mean, the only only font comes from an archaic French word for elephants and ivory. But uh, no, apparently he didn't even care enough to give us an etymology for mumakil. That could be the key to their whole language. We have nothing. It we could have... be the Rosetta Stone. That single word, mumakil. Uh, incidentally, so it says that to the men of the Western language sounded like the shouts of beasts. But I don't really think of beasts as shouting. Uh, like, <laughs> I'm a bear. Uh, like they bark, they growl, they yip, they uh, howl. But like shouting is like, hey. Hey! 
You're driving with the parking brake on. Hey! I'm a bear. Hey, you were parked in the handicap zone. You're not supposed to be there. Hey! hey! So, hey. anyway, whatever. Hey. <laughs> the animal's shouting, okay? Uh, I'm a bear. <laughs> now that we've discussed the men of darkness, yeah. let's dig into the racism a little bit. You don't have to be a bear anymore. We weren't already at the racism. I feel like we already punched it a well, few times. Well, we're going to unpack it a little bit. So, right. the first problem is that Middle Earth is pretty unrelentingly white. There are some people who will try to tell you that because Middle Earth is based on pre-modern Europe, it would be quote historically inaccurate to have people of color there what did though ask me what i think about that argument ryan what do you think about that argument I think Joanna? it sucks i didn't even finish the question i even. think it really sucks Whoa, so don't bite my head off firstly dude. if you have the leeway to put in trolls and orcs and talking trees you have the leeway to put in people of color regardless of whether it's historically accurate yes there's nothing particularly historically accurate about a wee 500 year old man in a loincloth who speaks in the third person and dies in a volcano and yet Gollum made the cut oh slay sis so it's stupid it's a stupid argument it's an incredibly stupid argument yes yeah, dumb also there were absolutely Absolutely, people of color in pre-modern Europe. Often we don't hear about them because race wasn't viewed the same in pre-modern Europe as it is now, and the concept of people of color is a modern one. Well, back then they thought Italian was a race. <laughs> At one point, yes. <laughs> so, in documents of the time, like pre-modern Europe, so maybe someone's skin color would be mentioned, but maybe it wouldn't. So, we don't necessarily know the extent of it, but we do know that the Moors of North Africa entered Spain and Portugal by the 8th goddamn century. Yeah, they were traded all the... There were, like, a lot of cultural exchange between those places. Yes, and we have plenty of old European paintings depicting people of color. They just don't get shown. Okay. So, if you want to see some, there is a Tumblr slash Twitter user called Medieval POC who posts them. I recommend it. Uh, so, yeah, if you think there were no non-white people in pre-modern Europe, that is willful ignorance on your part. And not only that, it's the sort of willful ignorance that makes it seem like you have a not-so-savory agenda. And that's the tea, sis. And that's the tea, sis, but it's all true. It is true. It is true tea. So, even Peter Jackson, by the way, seems to recognize this fact, because in The Hobbit, he does put black people in Lake Town. They're kind of in the background, though. So, he also deliberately hid the face of the dead Easterling that Sam encounters in Mordor to avoid having to say what race he was. Okay. It would have been nice if some of the POC characters in the movies had gotten, like speaking lines or like character development but anyway race in tolkien is a recognized issue beyond the pure lack of poc in tolkien another issue is that when darker skinned people are depicted they're almost always evil yeah weird pattern there huh weird pattern so the easterlings in hard dream are allies of sauron Bree's number one dickhead Bill Fernie is described as swarthy. The black skin of the orcs in Urukai is repeatedly mentioned so is tolkien racist almost certainly because but it's of the time. Any white person born into a white... It doesn't matter. I any <laughs> white person born into a white-dominated society is guaranteed to be racist. And the best we can do is try to fight against it and use our position in society to help others. So Tolkien's universe contains racism. However, the picture is a little more complicated than a surface-level reading might lead one to believe. So, firstly, there are some mitigating factors within the Easterlings in the Haradrim mentioned above. So the fact that many of the whitey-white Northmen joined in with the Easterlings to pillage the subtle of the West. See, white people are evil too. Plus the... Well, we know that. I mean, that's just a given. Yeah. Plus the fact that Harad was led for centuries by evil white colonialists. Additionally, while it is most commonly accepted that the Blue Wizards failed to protect the Easterlings from the influence of Sauron, there are other accounts that they did succeed at least partially, and that some of the Easterlings did reject Sauron. So, it's just that these Easterlings never come westward and thus never show up in the story. Okay. We also have this extremely humanizing passage from when Sam encounters one of the dead men of darkness, quote-unquote. 
So it says, it was Sam's first view of a battle of men against men, and he did not like it much. He was glad that he could not see the dead face. He wondered what the man's name was and where he came from, and if he was really evil at heart, or what lies or threats had led him on the long march from his home, and if he would not really rather have stayed there in peace. Sam's a good guy. Sam is a good guy. He is a very, very good guy. See, here... He seems to acknowledge this person was not inherently evil. Somebody lied or threatened or manipulated sure, him. Sure, he has empathy for his enemies. He does. BT Dubs, Sam himself is depicted as extraordinarily noble and the chief hero of the book. This despite the fact that he was almost certainly a Harfoot hobbit rather than a Fallowhide hobbit. and What's thus, that mean? Well, Fallowhides, if you remember, are like the whitey-white hobbits. Oh. Harfoots are stockier, hairier, and darker. So he was darker than Frodo, Merry, and Pippin. Okay. Other darker-skinned people who are pretty much benign in The Lord of the Rings include the Men of Bree, who are descended from Men of Darkness but seem to be just, like, getting on with their lives, drinking in the same pub mm-hmm. day after day and doing whatever else they're doing. The Dunlendings are also technically men of darkness, and they are seen as antagonists, but it could be argued that they're just justifiably pissed that the Rohirrim took their lands. I mean, yeah, they have, they have a history. They have a reason. Yes. On the flip side, we have plenty of white people who act absolute fools. Sauron, Boromir, Isildur, the overly conservative residents of Hobbiton, the list goes on. How about all those Gondorians and Numenorians? Well, the Nol- Gondor and the Numenorians, and yeah, a lot of the Gondorians, so white as white can be, are total shitbirds a lot of the time. Yeah. As well. Yeah, you just give me the history of them just being total jerks. Right? Moreover, when Tolkien includes explicit messages on racism in his works, it is always depicted as a negative thing. So, for instance, the hatred between elves and dwarves, or the kinslang that occurred because some of the Gondorians refused to accept a mixed-race king. So overall, I think The Lord of the Rings is very anti-racism in its outlook, it's just that in certain respects, Tolkien wasn't good enough to recognize and rectify his own implicit biases as a white man. Very diplomatic stance to take, Joanna, but I think it's a nice one. (laughs) Well, let's end with some quotes from Tolkien regarding his views on race. Okay. So this first one is a letter that he wrote about his German publishers. This was during World War II. They had sent him a letter asking whether he was of Aryan origin. Yikes. So he says, I must say that the enclosed letter from Rutten and Lernig is a bit stiff. Do I suffer this impertinence because of the possession of a German name? Or do their lunatic laws require a certificate of Irish origin from all persons of all countries? Personally, I should be inclined to refuse to give any Bestätigung, although it happens that I can, and let a German translation go hang. In any case, I should object strongly to any such declaration appearing in print. I do not regard the probable absence of all Jewish blood as necessarily honorable, and I have many Jewish friends and should regret giving any color to the notion that I subscribe to the wholly pernicious and unscientific race doctrine. Dang. You guy, guy, he gave me some words. He was pretty good at telling people off. He knows some words. He knows some words. It's almost like he was a linguist or something I like know. that. Uh, this is another quote from a valedictory address to the University of Oxford that he gave in 1959. This sure. is regarding um, apartheid. In South Africa. So, I have the hatred of apartheid in my bones. And most of all, I detest the segregation or separation of language and literature. I do not care which of them you think white. All right, nice. Lastly, a letter that he wrote to his son Christopher when Christopher was stationed in South Africa during World War II. So, a letter from Daddy. Daddy! I'm reading a letter from Daddy. I'm stationed in Africa. (laughs) So he says, As for what you say or hint of local conditions, I knew of them. I don't think they have much changed. I used to hear them discussed by my mother and have ever since taken a special interest in that part of the world. The treatment of color nearly always horrifies 
anyone going out from Britain, and not only in South Africa. Unfortunately, not many retain that generous sentiment for long. Mm. So there you have it. The best I could do in about 30 minutes on people of color and racism in Middle Earth. Yep. Although racism is solved. We have touched on it before now, and we will almost certainly touch on it again. It seems like a topic that kind of comes up when reading these modern reading modern takes on Tolkien. Now, do you believe in the the death of the author here? Do you think that like it should be interpreted by modern eyes in this way? Or should we consider Tolkien and his background before taking the racist implications into consideration? Okay, so Lord of the Rings came out in the 50s, which was a granted racist time. However, yes. there were plenty of people during that time who were addressing issues of race okay. and who were woke even by modern standards and who knew that these kind of stereotypes were harmful plenty plenty of people so no i don't think anybody gets a pass okay just because they lived in the 50s or whatever okay yeah that's my personal opinion so you come up with your own opinion but either way racism is solved good job we did it everybody good pizzas we did it racism is over if you want it and I do. And I do. And we all did. Good job, everybody. Y'all helped. So what do you got for me today? Well, what do you think I got? I think you've got more of Shadows of the Empire. Yes. More I of Cool Guy Dash Rendar. More of Sleazy Guy Prince Skizor. Yep. Skizor and Rendy are back in action, baby, because I've kept reading the book. Now, do you remember what happened last time in Shadows of the Empire? So I just... <laughs> yes. So I remember Skizor, like... Skeezing around, um, he broke up with his girlfriend, um, he kept getting in fights with Vader for uh-huh. daddy's attention, uh-huh. daddy uh-huh. in this case being the emperor. Um, the rebellion kind of hired or retained the services of Dash Rendor, who was dangerously cavalier and just did not give a crap. And just like an irresponsible loser, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Even though he's supposed to be cool. I remember Dash Rendor's relaxed fit jeans. He does have very good pants and clothes. Yes. Uh, and he's rugged and cool. Yeah, so that's basically the, the basic beats of it. It was kind of set up, yeah, if I remember. Most of the beginning is like attempts on Luke's life as well. He keeps on being attempted to be assassinated by a mysterious force behind the scenes. But we know it's Skizor because he wants to kill Luke before Vader can nab him up. Just to make him look bad in front of Daddy. And we last left our heroes, Leia and Lando and Chewie, going to Rhodia, the Rhodian planet, to meet with a contact who can get them information from the Black Sun to find out who is trying to kill good old Lukey. And their contact was a guy called Avaro, who is Greedo's uncle. Um, also, Black Sun, so when we had a Breaking Bad metaphor, right? We did. So Black Sun is to Gus Fring. Yes. The Salamancas are to what, like, the other crime organizations. Okay. They're the big bosses. Prince Skizor is in charge of them. Black Sun is Skizor, everybody. Black Sun. I'm going to cut this out. Skizor equals Black Sun. It's not on the podcast. Black Hole Sun. It's not on the podcast. It's gone. Black Hole Sun, won't you come? That's in, baby. With horny green dudes. Black Hole Sun. Okay. Horny dudes, horny dudes. Wow, you're like Weird Al over here. My gosh. Anywho, let's cut in with Avaro. Avaro is, for my money, the best character in this book. He's not in it very much, but I think he's great. He's a fat old Rodian who speaks with a speech impediment. Uh, he actually speaks basic, which is weird for a Rodian. You think you think of them talking in Hatice or like the Utaguta but here they're actually talking in basic and is language phonetically, and it's going to be fun for me to read. So he says, I see no problems. Guido should have tried to take Solo alone. He was not very bright, my nephew. Solo is frozen. Kenobi is dead. Your money isn't good as anybody else's. 
Hello? Hello? Hello, Mr. Obama? Hello? <laughs> and so he's like, they're like, so you'll put us in touch with the proper people, right? He's like, yes, it'll take a few days. Local contacts won't do you any good. You need an off-planet representative. Look how they spelled representative. Representative. I would not. Looking at that, you can go too far when it comes to trying to represent somebody's speech pattern in spelling. You can go too far. And I think representative goes too far. Off-planet representative. <laughs> Afro's the best. Back with Luke, he's made it back to Tatooine. He finally finishes his lightsaber. He turns it on. Does not explode. Hooray. This is great. The first thing he does is has R2 shoot at him to practice with it. <laughs> what if it didn't work? Well, then there'd be a very short book, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. And R2 would be a murderer. Whoops. That'd be a cool way to end things. But R2 then, on the lam. outside of Ben Kenobi's hut, he hears the rumbles of engines. It's a swoop gang coming in. What's a swoop gang? You know what a swoop is? It's like a bike. It's like a speeder bike, but even faster and more like a like a, a revity engine. And it's like what cool bikers ride around in Star Wars. So like Luke's like, cool, I finished my sword. Uh-oh, the Hell's Angels are here. Yep, and they're they're circling Ben's house. And they say, blow the little runt to Bespin, boys. Why? What did he do? We don't know. <gasps> One of the swoops crashes into a dune. The guy dies, and Luke steals his swoop and starts riding around, chopping dudes with his lightsaber left and right. But he realizes he's outnumbered. And so he says, I got to lose some of these guys. I'm going to race them through Beggar's Canyon. Remember Beggar's Canyon? I don't. Well, Luke mentions it in episode four when he gets his X-Wing. He's like, uh, just like uh, shooting womp rats in Beggar's Canyon. Oh, yeah. Well, I remembered more the shooting of womp rats than the canyon itself because I was like, but what do those rats do? So Luke would fly his T-14 Skyhopper through Beggar's Canyon shooting womp rats. So he knows this canyon very well. He assumed these bikers do not. And he is right because as they get in there, the bikers are crashing into walls and stuff. Dumb losers. Dumb losers. But they are gaining on him and there's still more bikers than there are Luke. But then they're shooting from behind the bikers. And the people are freaking out. Their swoop's blowing up. And they say, he's got help. We ain't going to win this one. Let's burn. And they take off. Who is here to rescue him? Who is this mysterious mask swooper who has helped Luke out of this fix? Leia? Well, he takes off his helmet. Dash? And it's Dash the Man Rendon. Oh, of course it is. Because <laughs> if you remember, Leia sent Dash to keep an eye on Luke and keep an eye, he did. So Luke's like, what are you doing here? And Dash says, saving your butt from swoop scum, it looks like. And Luke says, you know what I mean? Why are you here? And Dash is like, well, here's the thing. Leia, she's a hot package, that one. Gross! She wanted me to keep an eye on you until she gets back. And Luke's like, she what? And Dash is like, ease up, you'll blow a fuse, no big deal. And Luke's like, listen, pal, I don't need a babysitter. So it's like this cool conversation. What is wrong with you, Dash? Why do you talk this way? Why are you telling a guy his twin sister's a hot package? That's disgusting. At this point, he doesn't know it's his sister. Oh, that's Remember right. Remember that. That's right. That's this right. is before right. Return of the Jedi. It's so nasty. It is. So Dash informs Luke that the Supers, they had orders to kill Luke. It's very mysterious. Hmm. 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 Huh? So back with Prince Caesar, he's with the Emperor asking how the mission to blow up that rebel base was going. The one we talked about last time, which wasn't a rebel base at all. It was actually one of his one of his rivals' bases. Right. It was the Salamancas. Yep. He lets the Emperor know that it was he who gave Vader the information about the rebel base. He's like, I told him about it. I knew about it. It was my info. And Emperor's like, I really must see about hiring your spies away from you. Especially after you stole my best horticulturalist. A pity the man had that fatal lift accident before he could start working for you. So yes, wait. a pity, Skizor replied. If ever there was a poor loser, it was the Emperor. 
So Steve Perry is is putting in this dispute over Zizor stealing some of the Emperor's staff to work his gardens. And then the Emperor killing him in a freak accident. Adds a lot to the narrative. It's a lot. Steve Perry... I didn't realize these grown-ass men were, like, so pissy about gardeners. Yep. They're watching Vader as he arrives into the system. They kind of have the hollow-up of the battle going on. And he arrives, and there's a squadron of X-Wings flying around. So Vader's like... I think this would be fun. I'm going to hop on my own TIE fighter. I'm going to shoot some of these boys. Which he does. It's not as fun as he thought it would be. It leaves him kind of hollow. Because, like, after fighting Luca in Cloud City, it's like, nothing's the same. Oh my god, you just can never recapture that high. There's no challenge after fighting his boy. These are just you baby stuff. You can never stuff. get it back. Now he's going to go on, like, a crazy bender and wind up killing himself. So Vader gets back to the Star Destroyer, having destroyed the entire fleet. And he, the Emperor is, like, very good. But behind the Emperor, Vader sees Skeezor standing there, steepling his fingers like a cool guy. Ooh! Look at the coolest dude. Steeple their fingers. And so he gets mad jealous again. The Emperor tells Vader to thank Skizor for his intel, and Vader does begrudgingly. He's like, thanks, I guess. Thanks, whatever. And after he hangs up, he chokes a dude in anger. One of his underlings is like, Lord Vader, you're dead. Does he kill him? Yeah, he's dead. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Skizor is like, at this point, fully aware the Emperor's pitting Vader and him against each other, and he's loving it. He thinks it's so fun. He's ba da ba ba ba. He's loving it. it. Later, back at his pad, Skizor is checking out a hologram of Leia talking to Avaro about meeting with someone high up in Black Sun. Zizor figures he'd be a good way to get to Luke, but more importantly, we get some gross paragraphs. Oh, cool! He'd always assumed that she was a hardened battle axe of a woman, one of those androgynous and ugly zealots who couldn't be bothered with worrying about their appearance. Come a mistaken on. assumption that. Computer, rotate image, normal speed. Oh, God! She looked just as good from behind. Oh, guys, like checking out all the assets. Zizor took a deep breath and let it out. Hugh was an interesting woman. Attractive, adept, well-educated, and dangerous. The Dark Prince felt a stirring inside him. He smiled. The idea of female company was not repellent, especially a female who had more to offer than just good looks. He wondered what she might be doing just now. Probably eating a fine meal or spending money on expensive entertainment. Females did love such things. (laughs) Girls be shopping. Females. Females do love their shoes. The only way that paragraph could have been grosser is if instead of he felt a stirring inside, it said he felt a stirring in his loins. I was worried it was going to go there. Which is a phrase I really detest. Again, I read this book in fifth grade, so good job. Did you even know what loins were back then? No. You wouldn't have known what that meant. I wouldn't have, but there weren't any loins in this paragraph, so I was none the wiser. Back on Tatooine, Luke and Dash get a message uh, delivered to them by a droid from the Bothans. <gasps> the Bothans! The Bothan spies. The Emperor's pissed the Bothans. <laughs> They want Leia to come to their planet Bathawi immediately, but since she's not there, Luke decides to go in her place. And Dash grumbles, but tags along since he's still being paid. Meanwhile, on Rodia, Alvaro gets back to Leia, and he says, I just, just got calm from off-planet. Black Thun representative is in Wout. Thee will be here in three days. So, she? Thee? 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 Who could this be? Thee? It's a girl. A female representative. It's a female representative. Luke and Dash get to Bathawi, and the Bothan spymaster tells them that the Emperor is transporting a computer with important data about a new military project in an unmarked freighter. So Luke, of course, jumps at the chance to capture it and talks Dash into doing it also because he might get paid extra as a result. He's going to capture it, and it's going to be like Osama bin Laden's portable hard drive, <laughs> where it's just like a bunch of porn and Naruto. He loves anime, turns yeah. out. The Emperor needs his uh, Love Live discs. So they fly to the coordinates, the bunch of Bothans in their Y-Wings, and these coordinates, it turns out, were given to them by the Black Sun. The Black Hole Sun. The Black Hole Sun gave them this. It was very interesting. How, why would the Black Sun know about this freighter? Very weird. When Luke comms the freighter, he's told that they're transporting fertilizer on behalf of Zizor Transportation Services. They're transporting fertilizer to the Sound Garden. 
oh, I get it, Black Hole Sun. Yeah, like that song. Remember how there was that song that was called that by that band? Yes. Good, Joanna. Good. Luke tells him, turn off your engines. We'll just want to check it out. Like, don't worry about it. And they're like, actually, no. And they start flying away. Actually, we are going to worry about it. <laughs> and so they make a run for it. And the Y-Wings prepare to take out the engines. But as they do so, all these secret panels open up. <gasps> and they're full of all these missile chambers. Oh, my God. And they start firing. Dash fires at those, but for some reason the freighter is unaffected and a bunch of boffins get blown up. And Dash is like, I couldn't have missed! I couldn't have missed! He says it over and over again. He's freaking out about it. But you did, Dash. Eight boffins are dead, dude. You did that. That's what he has been nothing but irresponsible this entire time, and now that somebody actually gets hurt, he's like full of remorse. It's like I didn't I miss. Buy it. I don't <laughs> buy it. But like half the squad is dead. But at least the engines are taken out in the process. The Bothan spy master recovers the Imperial computer on board, and Luke sends Dash to find Leia on Rodia, and he's still like in a daze, like I can't believe I missed. Oh my god! Oh, I can't believe it. Yeah, might want to stop acting like not such a dipshit, Dash. So Luke's like, get out of here, dude. Just like, just go, go find Leia and sort this out. Go find that hot package. Go find that hot package without me. We'll figure this out. Speaking of Rodia, Avro's contact shows up to meet Leia, and it's Guri. Do you remember Guri? No. That's Caesar's sexy droid assistant. Oh, right. Yes, now I the do. The human replica droid who can do everything a woman can do in mind. Why doesn't he just turn that into Leia? Yeah, that's a good question. They made a, they made a Leia... HRD and Jedi Prince series. Why doesn't he just use that? It's gonna be like surely a lot easier unless he likes the challenge of bending a real woman to his will. I think he likes the challenge, the thrill of the chase. But no, but it's mentioned early in the story that it's never been a challenge for him. With his pheromones, right? Because he's, you know, he smells like X body spray. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Double pits to chesty. All the Double girls... pits to chesty. No, it's Guri, the sexy droid. So immediately Leia's like, gets like the heebie jeebies off this lady. Like, she feels super weird. She's staring at me. She doesn't blink enough. Lando is wild about how hot she is. And Chewie finds her super scary. Guri says Blackstone would be happy to help the Alliance, but before Leia can figure out what her deal is, Guri has to leave for another appointment. And then our, our book shifts perspectives. Freeze it right there. A short time later, Zizor is watching the meeting in hollow form, and he freezes the image of Leia talking to Guri. Perhaps he would have this particular frame installed as a permanent holographic duplicate on his private chamber walls. Oh my god! It would be better, perhaps, had she been nude, but it was just fine as it was. You read this when you were a kid? It seemed to catch the essence of the woman. He could get the nude one later. Oh my god, why is he so horned? He's a horny green man. Also, why do they have to include, like, what his spank fodder is in this? <laughs> I don't need to know that! I don't I'm know. going to pleasure myself to this image later. I'll freeze this frame and put it on my wall. My creep cams. Very good. Very good. So Guri calls up Zizor after the meeting and Zizor's like, what do you think we should do with her? And Guri's like, I think we should kill her. <laughs> we should kill her. Very pragmatic. We gotta kill the Wookiee. We gotta wipe the droid's memories. Like, just get rid of this whole thing. Very pragmatic. And Zizor's like, ha ha ha. Actually, bring her to me instead. Ha ha ha. I'm horny. Exactly. <laughs> And Gary's like, yep, okay, boss, that's what you want. Later on, Zizar meets with the Emperor. There's a lot of meetings in these books. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of meetings. I have noticed there's so many meetings and, like, very little has been accomplished, except they keep driving home the fact that Vader and Skizor are competing for the Emperor's love. Right, and he's meeting with the Emperor while Vader's off on mission, and it's revealed that the freighter was a Zizor plot the entire time. Oh, wow, really? Apparently, the Emperor agreed to allow that computer to fall into the Rebels' hands through Zizor's help. Okay. And that computer has the second Death Star plans on it. Uh-oh. Remember, many Bothans died to bring us this information? Many Bothans died. At least eight so far. Also, they gave the Bothans some pies, or whatever it was Bothans she said. pies, Bothans yes. pies. Many pies. Emperor's pissed his pants. <laughs> so the idea is that by playing the Death Star plans fall into the Rebels' hands through Black Sun coordinates, 
it'll make the rebels think, oh, the Blackstone's not so bad, and kind of soften them up so that later the Emperor can crush them with wow. the Caesar's help. Dash shows up on Rhodia, and he looks like crap, and Leia's like, well, how's Luke? And Dash is like, he's fine. He doesn't need my help. I just missed my shots to get Bothans killed. Whatever. Ugh. <laughs> cow he had like all the completely unwarranted confidence in the world and now one thing goes wrong as a result of his own long-standing pattern of irresponsible behavior and now he just like wants sympathy yeah no, you 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 did this you, you made this, this bed sleep in it sleep in that bed full relaxed of dead... fit jeans wearing ginger psycho you start wearing more uh, straight leg fit jeans because boot cut jeans you're too laid back for these relaxed fit yeah you need to tighten your pants you need dash. to tighten them and then maybe your attitude will tighten as well your relaxed fit attitude. But then it's time for another meeting with Guri. And this time Leia has 3PO rig up this bio scanner so she can tell what the heck's up with this weird lady. And immediately it's like, oh yeah, she's a droid. Duh. No life signs. Duh. But Guri figures it out almost immediately she's being scanned. And she's drinking tea. And she crushes the teacup in her hand. Whoa! And she's like, I'll do this to your head if you don't come with me. She's like my favorite character. She Power rules, right? Move. Yeah. Chewie's like, oh, no, 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 no. And he pulls out his bowcaster. And so it's negotiated down. Leia will go with Guri to meet Prince Caesar. As long as Chewie can go too. Guri calls up Zizor and he acts all gross over the comms, but tells Leia he'll tell her everything about Luke's assassination attempts as soon as they meet up on Coruscant. He'll probably also give her, like, unnecessary details on his masturbation routine. Probably roofies, right? Probably roofies. Probably also Rohypnol. Luke is with the Bothans decoding the Death Star plans of Bathawi, which he mentions smells like cheese. Okay. It's like, weird detail. He's like, okay. Every planet has its own smell, and Bathawi smelled like cheese. Like good kind of cheese, or like I think it said moldy cheese. Oh, uh, so it sounds like bo basically. Pretty much. That's what Bothans smell like, I guess. But their safe house is attacked by bounty hunters. They capture Luke and the Bothans and tell him he has a high bounty on his head from two separate parties who are fighting over him. And Luke's mm. like, "What? I thought only one person wanted me dead. There's two people want me dead. What's going on?" They're going to auction him off to the highest bidder. Oh wow! That's their plan. Oh wow! So Luke's in, Luke's in captivity. Meanwhile, the Emperor gets word of this and sends Vader to retrieve Luke, as well as rough up the local scenery to make it seem like they're actually trying to get back the Death Star plans. They're not really. They're not really. But they want to make it seem like, "Oh no, they fell into the wrong hands. Oh no, what are we gonna do?" Vader's worried that Caesar's going to get up to crap while he's gone. Which but, he, he might. But Dad gave him an order, so he kind of has to go. Yeah. Right. Arriving on Coruscant, Guri gives Leia and Chewie disguises so they can pass into Imperial space unnoticed, because they're kind of still wanted criminals. Yeah. Right? Leia gets a full bounty hunter getup, which Guri says is from a retired bounty hunter named Boosh, who is definitely not retired. He definitely was killed by the Black Sun. Boosh. 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 B-O-U-S-H-H. Hieronymus Boosh. Now, you might recognize this bounty hunter, because it's that costume that Leia's wearing when she goes to Jabba's palace. Oh, that's Boosh's, that's Boosh's duds? That's Boosh's duds. He's got a mighty boosh. Chewie has painted black spots on his body and these like black raccoon eyes going on. Because he's been he's been crying. He's, he paints himself. His, no, his 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 mascara man. He's been crying. He's very emo wookie now, yeah. He gets a cool Listen, cyber eye patch. And the best part, he gets a short spacer's haircut. Wait. Now I had a toy of this when I was a I'm kid. sorry, Chewie gets a short haircut? On top of his head. Yeah. Just on top of his head. So it's like a reverse tonsure. Like it's like it's No no no, it's not bald or anything. Actually I'll show you a picture in a sec. Okay. I had a toy of this when I was a kid. Looks a lot different than the uh the picture I'm about to show you, but it gave Chewie a flat top. <laughs> <laughs> like 
like my grandpa's hair. Yeah, next time I go to my like parents' high and tight. Next time I go to my parents' house, I'll pull out Shadows of the Empire Chewy and we'll show you his flat top. He looks great. What is that supposed to accomplish? Well, he's supposed to be a bounty hunter called Snuva, who's like a Wookiee bounty hunter, and that's what Snuva looks like. Oh. That's so stupid. You have hair all over your body. Why are you only worrying about the hair on your top of your head? Just to make him look different. Don't make guess. that high and tight. Gotta make sure people know, you know, <laughs> that I'm like a like a big this, little soldier. You but know, I think, like I'm literally hairy as hell everywhere else. I don't know, man. I feel like to most people all Wookiees look the same, so I think the black spots in the eye patch would be enough. Probably. But well, he just grew his hair out. Just be like, oh yeah, I just decided to Yeah, Snuva got a new look, yeah. Better than having a stupid, like just the stupidest. But Guri insists this has to be the way, and Chewie hates it, but Guri's just clowning now. She's just messing with him, right? Here's a picture of them in their disguises. Oh my god. Wait, that's not really a flat top. I know. The toy had a flat top, but all the comics and stuff kind of give him just kind of like short fringe. Yeah, it's not really... But it doesn't look as much like Chewie. He's got black spots all over him. You see all those yeah, black spots? Yeah, I see spots. those. I do see those. Kind of the raccoon eyes going on. When they land, Guri tells him to meet her at some coordinates on Coruscant since being together would be unwise. They don't want to be seen together. Okay. Leia decides to take a detour first into the undercity of Coruscant to meet with an old friend. <gasps> Who is this old friend? Now, the undercity... Coruscant is an entire planet that's one city, right? Yes. And as such, the city's been built upon itself multiple times. So like, it's like Istanbul. Exactly. And the people who live at the highest layer that can see the sky, they're the rich people. The people who live in the undercity, it's all the poor beggars and criminals and stuff. This is okay. kind of like the seedy, like literal underworld of Coruscant. Yes. Leia knows there's a plant shop owner owned by a Hodin named Spiro. Not Baji. It's a Hodin. Baji's people. Okay, but is he going to be giving a bunch of... He does not talk in rhymes. Oh my god. Thank god. Well, then, th- th- that's just even more mysterious, because I thought it was just going to be like all of Baji's people, but it's literally just Baji. He's just a loser. And that's the one they happened to meet was like this loser who talks in rhymes. That is a conscious choice he made. Yep. That's not even like a cultural thing. That is a conscious choice he made to be as obnoxious as possible. Yep. I hate Baji. Well, it's not Baji. It's it's Spiro. It's fine. Okay. He tells us some stuff about the Black Sun that we, the readers, already know. It's, it's, it's kind of pointless, actually. Yeah. I just like that they actually included a Hodin, which was introduced in the Jedi Prince series. Like, yes. that, that's fun. They're pointing from the kids' books. And yet they made it, like, basically not a Hodin because they took away Baji's defining characteristics. They gave us a good spe- a good representative of the Hodin. That's yeah. not Baji, which I think is great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Meanwhile, Luke is busting out of his confinement on Bathawi with a Jedi mind trick, but he goofs up and he's pursued by the bounty hunters. Luckily, who shows up but Lando, who explodes some of them and takes off with Luke in the Millennium Falcon. Thanks, so Lando. He says there's Star Destroyers pulling in, so they gotta go pick up Luke's X-Wing and go, 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 get out of here. I've been skipping a lot of scenes that are pointless in here. Yes. Like one where Prince Zizor is tending to a 600-year-old miniature fire thorn tree, which is just like a space bonsai. Why do they have him doing bonsai? What's the point of that? He clips a single leaf. It's yearly trim, and he thinks about how cool and smart he is, and how much restraint he has. You know who doesn't have restraint? Steve Perry, I know. writing this book? So I was reading this, and I was like, I love it, Steve. I love it. I love it. Thanks, Steve. I love it. You know what? It's Thanks, time Steve. for Steve Perry to take the midnight train to a creative writing class. Not going anywhere <laughs> to a creative writing Yeah, good class. point, good point. So when they finally meet up with Guri, after this hugely complicated route they had to take to get there, she finally takes them to Zizor. And here's some gross paragraphs. Ah, he said, Princess Leia Organa and Chewbacca. Welcome. I am Zizor. So here he was at last, facing the person in charge of the galaxy's largest criminal organization. That was strange all by itself, but to make it even more so, he was absolutely gorgeous. What? Already, already, he had allowed some of his potent pheromones to seep into the air. The Wookiee didn't seem to notice, but Leia had responded to the chemical attractions he exuded. She felt drawn to him. He knew this from the long experience with women he had. He was not unattractive to look at, but with the added lure of his enhanced hormones, it would take a very strong and very determined humanoid female to resist him. 
As a young man, he had felt the pull that Leia was now feeling. Following women had their version, and it was hard to ignore when one of them blossomed for you. Like a hothouse flower sending its fragrance into the air, falling pheromones swirled and wrapped around anyone close enough to be in their urgent embrace. If Leia had any sensuality whatsoever, she could only pretend that she wasn't attracted to him, as she now tried to do. But the flush of her cheeks, her slightly faster breathing, her yearning, were all obvious to one who had seen them a thousand times before. To one who knew how to spot the signs and use them to his best advantage, as Zizor did, and use them he would. I don't love it. You don't love it? I don't love it. So he has the power to make women... Fall for him with his pheromones. Yes. And Leia, who is still dressed as Boo, she tells her there's a change of clothes for her in her room, and she should relax after her long it's journey. It's gonna be like some evening gown or something like that. Awful sentence alert. Caesar favored her with his sexiest smile. Oh my god. Oh my god, Ryan. Oh my god. That's the last awful sentence he in this book. favored her. Well, thank you. Just kidding. Thank Here's a whole much more. Are you serious? Falling pheromones were more potent than the strongest spice. Leia may want to resist him with her mind, but her body would ache for him. Uh... There was no antidote save one. Caesar smiled. He would enjoy administering the single antidote to Leia. He would enjoy it very much indeed. Oh, man. When they say antidote, do they mean... They mean... They, they don't mean... They mean... They you know. don't. There's no way they mean a good night's sleep. Yeah, he's gonna tuck her in the a, bed. A vaccination. Yeah, yeah. Some shots. Oh. <sighs> Anywho. Well, that was disgusting. Thank I you. I think it's probably a good spot to end it for today. I think that's a good spot to end it forever. No, I'm just kidding. I want to find out what happens, but I, I can't take many more passages like that, Ryan. I gotta tell you. There's more. Gross. How did you read this as a kid? I think I just skimmed over these bits, honestly. I wanted to get to the Dash Rendar parts and, like, the space fights. And so I think I skimmed over Prince Zizor's pervalerts. God. Did, did it strike you at the time? Like, oh man, this guy's really pervy. It struck me as, like, ew, gross. She's supposed to be with Han Solo. What's she doing? But, like, he's on the cover is like, this green man with a top knot. I was like, ew. He's green and gross. Why would you want to go with him? Because of his pheromones, Ryan. I know. I didn't know that at the time. Like, people on Reddit are buying and selling. I remember I did a book report on this book. Was your teacher like, um... It wasn't really a full book report. It was one of those things. And and then he favored her with his sexiest smile. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have a speech impediment in fifth grade, but, you know, yes, pretty much. The only antidote was sex. (laughs) Was his penis. (laughs) Teacher immediately called your parents, I'm sure. She's like, he's talking about pheromones and whippy tentative I don't know what's going on. <laughs> whippy tentative. So anyway, I'm going to leave you cliff hung with that last bit. As opposed to Zizor, who's just hung. Ba-doom. Ba-doom. Actually, they haven't mentioned that. Oh, he definitely is, though. Oh, does it mention it later? It talks about his awesome rock and bod in the first part. Remember that? Well, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean... It'll get better. Don't worry. I mean, it couldn't mean... I mean... It might mean... It might possibly mean... It means. It means... All right, well, anyway, it's time to go on to our next feature. Yeah. The worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge. She really had to work for that one. Yeah, I I did not fold myself in a very ergonomic way here. So last week you put forth uh, a worthy challenger to Luke Skywalker, which was Tinder. The dwarf who he incorrectly said was named after a dating app. He's actually not Tinder. The app does, in fact, have an E in it. It turns out we mixed up Tumblr and Tinder and made them one app. Neither of us has been on Tinder. I don't use Tinder. We're happily married. I think Tinder is unseemly. I prefer ChristianMingle.com. I think ChristianMingle.com is even more unseemly. Literally, my dad <laughs> my dad used to use it, and like everybody he met on there was a psycho. But, I mean, that could just be 
my dad more so than the dating pool on Christian Mingle. I think it says something about Christians. Hot take. Wow, hot take, Ryan. That's not really my hot take. I'm just kidding, guys. Uh, unfortunately, though, Tinder, he did lose this week. I figured he probably won. Luke made it. This is his second victory. That means he's going to go in the Raptors next week, but maybe he can put up a, a, a challenger who can put a dint in his winning streak. Oh, I got a dint maker for sure. Let's hear it, dinter. Rat bag. Rat bag. Rat bag, like a bag of rats. Now, what's rat bag from? Rat bag is an orc. Is your sidekick in Shadows of Mordor. Of course, the video game. We should play that game. It's cool. Yeah, um, it sounds really fun, actually. It's very fun. Even though, didn't you say that, is that not the one where, like, Sauron and Shiloh were, like, a couple and she's, like, a sexy spider lady? In the second one, yeah. I haven't played all the second ones. I, I actually really want to play that. So is he a good orc? He's... A slightly less bad orc. He helps you out. He's kind of... He, his idea in the game is he wants to go up the ranks in orcdom. And so he's he's helping you by telling you, like, where different orc deployments are so you can kill the leaders and so you can rise in rank. Oh, well, okay. I mean, that sounds yeah. fine. That sounds like... If this were, like, the good, the bad, and the ugly, he wouldn't be the bad. He's, he's a little... He'd be the ugly. He's a little skinny guy. He's not like, like the, he looks fresh guy. Yeah. Um. So he's really not the strongest, most commanding orc, but by by helping him out, he can rise up the ranks and become, you know, a lieutenant in Sauron's army. Is he a bag of rats? No, I'm sure he's ate a few in his day, though. Okay. Well, we'll put him up as a challenger to Luke. Rat bag. Rat bag. Again, that's rat bag. 1-800-R-A-T-B-A-G. R-A-T-B-A-G. Call now. Oh, another scorcher. Lots of rats in this house. Uh, you said you'd call rat bag yesterday. I'll call him today. You'll, You'll call, call now. now. I'll call, call now. 1-800-RAT-BAG. Put rats in a bag. Is that a national commercial, or is that I think something that's going to be entirely mystifying? I'll probably cut it out anyway. But Okay, that's fine. All right, well, that's all we have for you this week, everybody. So make sure to vote for either Luke or Ratbag the Coward, as his mother called him on his birth certificate. Is that little cutie? Oh, he is adorable! You can vote for him either on Twitter or on our Facebook group. You just have to search what's lightsabers precious, and I guarantee it will be the only thing that comes up. You can also find us on our official website, www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. Our email address is whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com, and you can rate us up on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud. You know, look for us. We'll be there. We'll always be there for you. We're like your friend. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy 20 Palpatine. We'll see you next week with our next episode. Bye. Bye.